Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. We are in uh, the book of Habakkuk again. Uh, I want to do a real uh, short recap of the first week. And so we're going to spend um, four weeks or four uh, sermons in uh, the book of Habakkuk. And the first week was, where is God when I need him? And so uh, Pastor Jeremy preached on where is God when I need him. And there are times in our life where we feel like uh, God doesn't listen or that he, he doesn't care or that he's not hearing us and that we're calling out to him, but he's not hearing or that he's just not listening to us or that he doesn't care. And so uh, when we looked at that and Habakkuk's cry to God that, God, uh, you know, where, where, where are you? You're making me look at all this evil. Where are you? And we saw that God's response to uh, Habakkuk was, was that he's working and that he does care and that he's working in the sense that, uh, that Habakkuk couldn't even understand if, if God stopped, came down to him and said, this is what I'm doing. I'm laying out the plan that Habakkuk wouldn't even be able to understand. And so where is God when you need him? He's there. And that's the big picture that uh, we saw uh, first week um, in, in the situation in which Habakkuk was in. This week and week two, we're looking at, uh, is God fair? The question this morning is, is God fair? And some of you have asked that, God, are you fair? And this is a picture of Habakkuk crying out to God and asking him, God, are you fair? Are you fair? Because it doesn't seem like that right now. And one of the things I'd love for you uh, to, to get this morning is when things are unclear, when life is unclear, when life doesn't make sense, when life is unclear, rest in what is clear. So the big message, the big point this morning is when life is unclear, because life will become unclear, amen, that we will have points in our life where we just don't get it. We don't understand. And, and preparing for this, I was thinking of a few situations. We think about hurricanes that have just come and, and rocked different states. Now we can say, God, are you fair? And we might say, God, thank you, Jesus. You didn't hit us with the category five that we were all talking about, all thinking of. You know, praise Jesus. But guess what? Those in Florida, they're not, they're not, they may not be thinking the same way we are. They were rocked with a hurricane that some of their lives have been completely destroyed from what they used to know. And so life has now become very unclear for them. And in Texas, when Harvey came through and flooded uh, different parts of Texas, their lives have been completely wrecked. God, are you fair? Why would you do that to us? What did we do? Why did you do that to us? And so we had this question, is God fair? And there's been a few uh, kind of milestones in my life where I've really asked this question. I've really had to wrestle through this. And one was uh, when Shelby was born. When we found out she had Down syndrome, we were in a really emotional state of, 
God, is this fair? This is not fair for Shelby that she's going to have to struggle with the, the, the things that she's going to have to struggle with for the rest of her life because she has Down syndrome. God, this isn't fair. God, I thought we were normal, that we just were going to live a normal life and nothing, nothing truly exciting or different was going to happen to us. God, is this fair? And Rebecca and I had to wrestle through that. And then one that has really rocked me hard was with Robbie I. And Robbie was a, a close mentor, a friend, one that I turned to a lot. And he's a guy that was, he had cancer and eventually died from that cancer. And so my question to God was, God, is this fair? Why would you do, do, do this to a man like Robbie? He's a man that is after your heart. He was preaching your word. He loved his family. He loved his children. He loved to serve and minister to others. He loved my family immensely and taught us so much. God, why would you do that to a man like God? God, are you fair? Are you fair in doing that? Is God fair? And that was a question I've had to wrestle with. And it's no accident that God has given me this sermon to preach this morning because I've had to wrestle through this. And it's been difficult. It's not an easy question to answer. It's not easy to see. But we're going to enter into the life of Habakkuk. We're going to see how he saw. What was he experienced? Because he was living a life that he thought was not fair. The situation that he was living in was a time when uh, Israel was not being faithful to God. They were not living uh, as the covenant uh, people of God. They were uh, straying away. Idolatry was big in, in their life, and it was time for their judgment. And God was going to use this nation, Babylon, we'll talk about a little bit further on, but he was going to use this nation, Babylon, to, uh, to judge and to punish uh, the Israelites. And so Habakkuk's in this situation where it's kind of like when, when the storm, when a hurricane is coming, we all turn on the weather channel or Live 5 News or whatever your channel is uh, to watch the hurricane. And I, especially with Irma, man, for days and days, all I could hear about was Irma and where it was today and where it's going to be tomorrow and the 50 million places it could be in two days, you know, uh, and what it's doing. And it was constant. And see, in a sense, this is, this is Habakkuk. He sees it coming. He knows the hurricane is coming. But for, for Habakkuk and, and the Israelites, it's not going to be diverted. There's no other path. It's coming straight for him. There's no, well, it could be over here or here. The path of that hurricane for the Babylons were coming straight through Israel. And he knew it was coming. His heart was going to be broken. I mean, we can, we can look at the Old Testament, and some of us, we, we don't want to go to the Old Testament because we quite don't understand it, the context of it. Uh, we might think it's not applicable. But we're going to see this morning that Habakkuk's prayer is oftentimes what our prayer is. His struggle is going to be what our struggle is in life. When what is unclear happens in life, when we just don't understand life circumstances, when things happen and we did not see it coming, what do we do? Big picture is rest in what is clear. Rest in what is clear. And we see that beginning in verse, uh, verse 12. We're going to stop here and slow down a little bit and start and uh, stay in verse 12 a few minutes. See, we first see who God is. In verse 12, we see who God is. Are you not from eternity? Yahweh, my God, 
My holy one, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. First, we see God is eternal. That God is eternal. God is not limited like we are. That here in this one verse, we, we see a big contrast between who God is and who we are. Who God is, he is eternal. He's not limited by time or space like we are. We have the present and we look forward to the, uh, the future and we are remembering the past. But all we have is now. We're not guaranteed anything else. But God is not limited by time or space. When studying this, I looked up uh, the, the, uh, the way we see that he is eternal in this passage is one that he says, you are from eternity. So he's pointing this picture that you, th- his arrows of life continue all the way. That he was there in the past and he will be, he is present now and he will be there in the future. And he is there in the future. Uh, where we see this also is in Exodus 3. Um, turn there real quick. It's Exodus 3. This is a time where Moses is leading, has been called to the, uh, lead the Israelites. It's his burning bush experience. And this amazing word that God gives him, this amazing name that God uh, gives him. And so Moses um, is not a qualified uh, man. I don't know if you've studied the life of Moses much, but he's not a very qualified man. He's not qualified to lead lead the Israelites at all, really. When you look at him, he has fallen in so many different areas. Um, But God still uses him. That amazes me. When we get here in Exodus chapter 3, Moses has left the Israelite people. He's, he's out having his burning bush experience with God. And God has called him to do the impossible. Like I said, Moses, he didn't speak well. He was a sinful man. He, he was a man of passion, but sometimes unbridled pr- passion. But yet God had called him to this great mission, this great opportunity. And so Moses, like many of us, would be struggling with it. And he does. He struggles with it. But let's, uh, let's uh, focus in on verse 13. It says, Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? Moses has just been asked to go back to uh, the uh, Egyptians and say, You see all these Israelites? All of them? The whole nation? I'm going to take them away from you. You need to be okay with that. He had no power. But God was calling him to do this impossible. And so when Moses was struggling with that, he said, all right, all right, and when I go back, who am I to tell them that sent me? How do I have any authority with them? They don't like me. They don't trust me. How do I gain their trust? what, What do I tell them? And God answers them. God replies to Moses, I am who I am. It's this name, Yahweh. I am who I am. And it could also be translated, I am because I am, or I will be who I will be. It's this amazing name. It's the name that has always captured me because when he says, I am who I am, or the I am sent me, meaning that there is no proper description for for God. That our limited language, uh, the Hebrew language, couldn't really personify really who God was in his essence. So he says, I am. 
What does that mean? I am the beginning? Yes, you're, he's the beginning. That I am the, the, uh, the omniscient, the all-powerful. That is who he is. And so when he uses this word, I am, it's this description that goes beyond all descriptions. And then it goes a little bit deeper uh, in verse uh, 15. He says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. That every generation, even us, we are to remember him as the I am. And this was even more intimate because the other nations would refer to their God and there was a common name for the word God. Like we say God and the Mormons will say God and Jehovah's Witnesses will say God and uh, uh, Muslims will say God and other religions will use this word God. But when God told them, told the Israelites, I am sent me or Yahweh has sent me, it was personal to the Israelites. There was no other name like that. No other religions in, in their area had that name. And so this is a special name. And so God is eternal. And Habakkuk here is recognizing, God, you are eternal. That I cry out to you. I don't understand. Lord, life is unclear, but I'm going to rest in what is clear. And so he points out, you are from eternity. Yahweh, my God. If nothing else, we see from Habakkuk, as we start off seeing that he has good theology. He has good understanding of who God is. And that's the beginning of his foundation. So number one, God is eternal. And then number two, God is unchanging. Another word for that is immutable. That he's unchanging. And we see this when he says, uh, uh, Lord, you appoint them to execute judgment. And it says, my rock. This word, my rock, when he uses that, he is this imagery of stability, that God is unchanged, he's unmutable, that he is not any better or any worse. And this is one of the things studying through this that blew my mind and to, to slow down and to think about is that God is unchanging, that his name is Yahweh forever in all generations, including us. And that that is comforting. There should be great comfort for us and for Habakkuk in the fact that God is unchanging because God is not like us. We are always changing, right? We are always changing. We are always either getting better, getting closer to God, or getting further away from Him. We're either growing in our knowledge and understanding of who He is and how to best serve Him, or we're rejecting Him and running away. We're always changing. He is never changing. This idea that he can now get better. That God, there is no better God. There is no better version of God. That he has not evolved. He has not gotten better over time. That he has not become more learned. But that he is who he is. He is unchanging. He is stable. He is the rock. He is my rock. He personalizes it and says, you are my rock. Though life is unstable, though life is, is unclear, I will be clear that you are my rock. And here in, uh, in another passage that very uh, pointed, points this out is Malachi 3.6. It says, because I, Yahweh, that personal God, have not changed. You, descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed. 
I love this passage because it points that Jacob, the Israelites, they weren't destroyed. If you know much about the Israelite history, they should have been. That they rejected God over and over again. They, they ran to idolatry. They ran to other gods and doing deplorable things when they had the one true God. They over and over again broke the heart of God. But Yahweh says, or God says here that, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Why? Not because they have been good, not because they deserved it, but because he is good, because he is stable, because he's the one that made the covenant with them. And he makes a covenant with us through Christ. So when life is unclear, we have to rest in what is clear. It is clear that God is eternal. It is clear that God is unchanging or immutable. And then number three, God is sovereign. God is sovereign, meaning this word sovereign is this big picture of that. God is in control. There is no one above God. God is sovereign. Uh, And we see this when he says, uh, when Habakkuk points out, Lord, you appointed them to execute, execute judgment. He said, you caused them to come and judge us. That that is your call, that you did that. He says, you destined them to punish us. That he understands who God is, that God is sovereign and in control. Though we may not understand life, though we may not understand, for me, I, I, do, I still do not understand why God would take a man like, like Robbie from this earth so young. But that's not me to understand. But I do rest in what is clear. It is clear that God is holy, that God is eternal, unchanging, and sovereign. And then this is best seen, or it can also be seen, in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, there was no one else. It wasn't in the beginning, God, and then someone else told God what to do, how to create the earth. No, in the beginning, God is the one that created. He spoke things into being. And so we have to recognize that God is sovereign, that he is in control, and that we are to submit our life to him. What we're talking about this morning And what Habakkuk is going through here, it's not easy. It's actually very difficult. And something that you may be wrestling with for years and years. But we have to come back to what is clear. Because life is often unclear. And then number four there is God is holy. God is holy. And we see that uh, right right here. It says, uh, at the beginning of verse 12, Are you not from eternity, Yahweh, my God, my holy one? What does this mean? He calls him my holy one. It means you are set apart. You're completely, utterly, and different from us. That God is transcendent above us. That he is completely different than, than us. That he is set apart. That he is completely morally perfect. He is perfect in all that he does morally. That he is pure in everything. I've heard it put one way is that um, if we knew what God knows, we would do the same things that God does. And that's helped shed light in my, my life and give me a little peace that I don't know everything. So in humility, I just have to trust God. God, you know what you're doing. I do not. God, you are God and I am not. You are holy and I am not. 
I mean, this is also seen in Leviticus. It's not a book that we often go to, but uh, Leviticus uh, 11, 44 and 45, it says this, For I am Yahweh, again, that personal interaction with God, that personal name. I am Yahweh, your God. So you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. You must not defile yourselves by any swarming creature that crawls on the ground. For I am Yahweh, who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. So you must be holy because I am holy. That God's calling his people to be holy. We think of Leviticus in the Old Testament as I don't want to go there. I don't, want, I don't understand it. I don't, want to, I don't want to see it. But when you see Leviticus, there was a point and purpose to it. The laws that were given to the Israelites was for a reason. It was so that they could be holy, that they could be set apart from other nations. Just as God is set apart from us, he was calling the Israelites to be set apart from all other nations. That they were monotheists. They only worshiped the one true living God. They only worshiped Yahweh. And they were to share that light with others. Now they failed over and over again, just as we do. But that's what their calling was. Their calling was to be holy as God is holy. Guess what he's calling you and I to be? He's calling us to be holy as he is holy. Even in, uns- in unsure circumstances. Even when life doesn't make sense. Even when you're doubting everything else around you, this is what he's called us to. See, there's a problem that Habakkuk noticed here. You'll see on your, your outline there. There seemed to be a conflict. So, God, so Habakkuk knew, he knew who God was. He knew that God was eternal. He was unchanging. He was sovereign. He was holy. But there was a conflict. He knew that. So there seemed to be a conflict between who God is And what God was doing. There was a difference between who he knew God to be and what he was seeing around him. And maybe that's where you're at in life right now is that you've been in church. You've heard about God. You've lived in the South long enough. You've been to enough enough church services that you've heard about God's omniscient. He's all-powerful. You've heard all these things. But you don't see it played out. That why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does a man like Robbie pass away? Why does Shelby have to endure uh, the, the limitations that she has or the, the difficult, difficulties that she's going to face? Why do, why do people hurt one another like they do? See, we, we know who God is, but we quite don't understand uh, the situation that's going on. Uh, we're going to walk through verses 13. And verse 13 uh, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Again, he knows who God is. He's pure. He's holy. And you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you not, why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent? While, ones who, who, while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself. And this is where Habakkuk begins to pan away from God and to himself. In life circumstances, this is so easy to do. That we, we start, we look at God, and we, God, we know you're this, this, and this, and this. And we start listing all the attributes of God, and then we start bringing it inward. But, but look at my situation. I'm better than them. We start looking at others around us, and this is what Habakkuk's doing. He's saying, the Babylonians, God, really, you chose them? They're evil. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they're evil people. They show no mercy. They do things that we can't talk about up here, right? 
that they are not people worth uh, giving any glory. Why don't you wipe them off the face of the planet? And we have the same thoughts about others, don't we? When we think in our day and age, well, I'm better than my neighbor. I know what he does, and I don't do that kind of stuff. Or I know what that group of people, you know, the, the ISIS, I, I know, I've heard what they do. I'm much better than them. I'm much better than those people. When we can start pointing everybody else. And the problem becomes is that we start seeing others rather than God. And that's where, where, uh, where Habakkuk starts changing his view to the Babylonians. In verse 14, 14 through 17, it says this. It says, You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans or the Babylonians pull them up with a hook, catch them in their dragnet, and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things, their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. And this in verse 17. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? Habakkuk is saying, I've seen what they do. I've seen how they come and ravage nations. I've seen what they do to women, children, and others. I've seen what they do. They are unmerciful. They show no mercy to any nation they conquer. They come in and they destroy. God, how long are you going to let them do that? Can they just continue? And a lot of us will have that question of, I know they've been cheating on their taxes. I know that's a business that does some underhanded things. How are they prospering? God, they don't even go to church. Why are you blessing them? They have more stuff than I have. Why is that fair? And see, what Habakkuk is doing is saying, those people are evil, we are good. But he, he does qualify in, in, in a little bit of, yeah, I understand that we've been sinful. I understand that we've, uh, we need some judgment. We need some chastisement. We need to be punished a little bit. But you can't use them, God. Why would you use them? They are evil. We are your holy ones. They are the ones that come in and destroy. They don't love you at all. And see, his perspective was completely wrong. See, a lot of times when we start to lose perspective, when we start losing perspective is when our perspective becomes more inwardly. When we focus on ourselves and how we are feeling, how we've been affected, and how it's all about me and I. And that's what it becomes for Habakkuk, is that it's all inwardly focused. Habakkuk is asking, God, why are you using them? They are worse than us. And when we look at the, the story there, maybe kind of confusing at first, verse 14, 15, and 16, where he's talking about fish and fishing. Uh, why would he, it's this illustration, it's a metaphor that, uh, that Habakkuk's using, this illustration where that, God, you've created all, all the people and this, this Babylonian empire is coming in. The Chaldeans, they're coming in. They're dragging people up. They're making them submit. They're destroying lives. And they're worshiping their power. Their power is their God. They, don't, they, they say they don't need you, God, because they have their dragnets. They have their power. They have their war machines that will come in and destroy others. And so they worship their power. 
Man, in our day and age, isn't that the case in a lot of people's lives, maybe in your life, that we worship our own power, we worship our own abilities. And see, the, we need to hear God's response. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1, he has this prayer. And so he's bearing his soul to God. He's letting God know what he thinks about God. There's a side point there is that be honest with God. In your prayers to him, don't try to sugarcoat things. Be honest with God. Share your heart. That's one of the things that we can learn from Habakkuk. But he, in verse 1 in chapter 2, it says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the look tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and, I will, and what I should reply about my complaint. He said, I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to wait until God has responded. I'm going to wait and see, what does God say about this? When I ask the question, is God fair? God, are you fair? I'm going to wait and see what you say, God. I want to know what you have to say about that. Because right now, my perspective, and this is Habakkuk, right then, his perspective was, God, you're not fair. You shouldn't use a nation like that. You should go ahead and destroy them, you know, punish us a little bit, and then we'll be back on the right path, and then we'll continue on like life is good, right? But that's not what happens and Habakkuk here teaches a lesson of, let's listen to what God has said. How do we know what God has said? Well, we're reading it right now. Uh, verse, um, verse 3, uh, verse 2 and 3. The Lord answered me. Got to stop right there. The Lord answered him. He cries out to God, and what does God do? He answers him. When we cry out to God, he will answer us. It may not be the way you want, as we're about to see. The answer that he gives Habakkuk is not the answer that I really want. It's not the answer I'm, I'm guessing that Habakkuk probably wanted, but it's the answer that we need. So the Lord answered me. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. This was to be proclaimed to others. This wasn't just for Habakkuk's ears. It was for others to be able to know and to read. In verse 3, For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. God is truth. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Point number one on God's God's response is, be patient. I know this, uh, this morning is not uh, vastly complex. There's not a whole lot of complexity to God's answer, which I appreciate. I appreciate God's answer that is not, it's not deep theological truths that we have to dig out and try to understand, but it's very simple in what God's response is and what he has called us to. It says, though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. That he's encouraging Habakkuk that, just wait for it. I know what you're seeing. I know your circumstances. God's speaking to Habakkuk and said, promise me, I, I know where you're at. Promise you, I know that. I know what you're struggling with. I know the difficulties that you're facing right now, Habakkuk. But wait. Wait and see. Wait and see and rest and what you know is clear. And that's where I'd really encourage you and myself to, to stand is when life is unclear, when life doesn't make any sense, when things are just uncertain, rest in what is clear when life is unclear. So we are to be patient. 
God, there will be a time where God rights all wrongs. So here Habakkuk is, is looking for the demise, the destruction of the Babylonians. That he doesn't want them to come and execute judgment on, himself, on, on his people. But God is going to use them. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And we are to wait on that plan and that purpose. And so we are to do what he has called us to do while we are waiting. This waiting isn't in in silence. This waiting isn't just sedentary where I'm just waiting, uh, hands crossed. All right, God, tell me what to do next. It's a waiting of I'm going to go ahead and do what you've called me to do. I'm going to rest in what I know. And so for, for Habakkuk, he was to go and proclaim this message that he was to write it down, that there was activity for him to do. For you and I, we are to wait for God's answer. Sometimes it may be waiting in the sense of, all right, go to, go to his word. Read his word over and over, until, over and over until you understand who he is in light of the situation. We are to wait. When I, when I think about this perspective of waiting, that God knows more than I do, I oftentimes think of being a father. So being a father has taught me a lot of things, Uh, has taught me uh, many things of my own character, of character flaws where I need to change, but has also taught me other things of there are times, and parents, you, you may understand this and others you may understand as well, but that you understand that you have a different level of knowledge than your child. And I've come to realize uh, with my, my children, there are times when they don't quite understand what is going on. There's been situations with Sullivan that I have, I have told him one thing because I can see, maybe literally, I can see higher than he can see. He's almost there with me. But I can see for right now, I can see other things that he can't see. But also with Shelby, that I will grab her hand during, in, in a parking lot. She is walking beside me, and there are many times she's just, yanking her arm away from me. But I will reach down and I will force her to hold my hand because I'm trying to be a good dad, right? I'm trying to keep her safe. I'm trying to keep her from running out in front of a car that's backing up that would have no chance to see her. See, a lot of times we think of God as, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? God, are you fair? It's not, in the mind of Shelby, she may be thinking, Dad, you're not fair. Let me have my freedom. Let go of my hand. Let me run free and do whatever I want to. But as a good father, I see the dangers. And no, you hold my hand. When we're in a parking lot, you hold my hand. God is a good God. God is a good father, much better than I could ever be. And he is the same way. Be patient. Be patient. And then when we uh, look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Look, his ego is inflated. And his there is uh, the Babylonians, the, the Chaldeans. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by faith. The righteous one will live by faith. And this is God speaking that we will live by faith. And it's this message pointing toward the gospel that uh, the book of um, In the New Testament, uh, this phrase is repeated three times. The righteous will live by faith. Paul uh, quotes it twice, and then it's also in the um, book of Hebrews. And it points to Jesus, that the righteous will live by faith. Though you don't know what's going on, though you don't quite understand everything, the righteous will live by faith. That you and I are called to live by faith. 
See, the Old Testament is valid, and it answers a lot of questions that you and I may be struggling with right now. Is, is God fair? Well, we see we are to be patient and to live by faith. We may not have the answer to that question, but we have the answers enough. We are to rest in what is clear. What is clear about God? He is eternal. He is unchanging or immutable. He is sovereign and he is holy. You're to rest. You and I are to rest in those things. I want to close out with this last uh, passage. It's in Proverbs 3. We're to live by faith. So Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways, and he will guide you on the right paths. Don't consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Do not consider yourself wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That we are to rest in what is clear even when life is unclear. As we close with this last, last song, oh how, I, oh how He Loves You and Me. I want to ask God, Beth, can come on up. Um, while we close with this last song, I'll be down front. I really want to encourage you, respond to God. As you sing, uh, maybe you want to take this time and not sing. And just think about what is God calling to? How is he calling you? How, how do you answer this question of, is God fair? We, rest, we answer that by be patient. That live by faith. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ.